Well, good morning. I'm glad you all are here. Hey, why don't you grab your Bibles and uh, turn with me once again to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 13, as we make our way into the parables of the kingdom, Matthew chapter 13. This morning we'll uh, be looking at the parable of the sower, the parable of the sower, starting in verse 3. So uh, why don't you grab your Bibles, plenty of Bibles scattered in the pew backs in front of you. And uh, as you're doing that, I'm going to ask that we uh, pray one more time, ask for God's power and uh, His blessing upon our reading and hearing and living out of His Word. So uh, Matthew 13, parable of the sower, let's pray and we'll dive right in. Father, we ask now that you would be with us, that your spirit would be present among us as we know that he has already, touching our hearts, convicting us of sin, encouraging us. And Lord, we pray that uh, your spirit would continue to do that. I pray that you would help guard my lips, that the words that I say would be faithful and true and accurate to your word, and that they would be helpful to us and glorifying to you. We ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus, our King and Savior, and all God's people said, Amen. Well, we just recently finished some major projects on the outside of our home. And if you've uh, driven by our home, you know what I'm talking about because a good chunk of our yard uh, is now uh, dirt, right? And so it's sort of gotten torn up uh, through the summer projects. And so we, uh, I've been anxiously waiting for all of these projects to get done so that I can uh, plant grass so that we can have a semblance of a yard again. And so we were waiting and waiting, and the fall has come, and now it's gotten cold, and we were waiting. And though it might be too late, we decided to give it a shot. And so my dad and I, uh, we, we sort of worked hard on it. We borrowed a tiller from, uh, from a friend, and we tilled up that hard ground. Because you know, when there's machines constantly running over dirt, what happens? It gets hard, right? And so we used that tiller, and we worked at it, and then we not only uh, uh, got the, the ground soft, but of course we had to get it leveled, and so we raked, and we worked hard to, to, to plant grass. And so the, the day finally had come, and we got our planter out, and we bought our seed, and we spread the seed far and wide all into the soil, and uh, then it was just perfect. It rained that afternoon, a, a light rain, and I'm like, yes, that's perfect. And then for, for the few days that have followed, we've sort have gotten this light rain, and I'm like, thank you, God, for watering my yard, and, uh, and so we're going to see what happens, and so I'm waiting, and I'm watching to see if those seeds that were planted in the dirt actually produced fruit, right, if they produce crop. Well, in this case, we want that, we wanted to produce grass, and of course, God in his providence all the while was preparing me for this morning's parable, because this morning's parable is all about planting seeds. And it's not just about planting seeds, but it's about the type of soil in which those seeds are planted. And so let's begin with the parable of the sower. We saw the introduction to the parables in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 last week. And so we're starting with the first parable, starting in verse 3. Jesus introduces it with a very um, a simple and familiar image to those living in the ancient world. Verse 3. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And so now we need to move from agriculture as we know it today to agriculture as it was in the ancient world. See, the picture that Jesus is painting of a, of a farmer going out 
to sow his, his seed is not necessarily a picture of a farmer climbing into his John Deere planter, right? That's, that's not what's going on. No, this is an image of a man with a bag of seed slung over his shoulder. And he is sowing his seed. He grabs handful after handful of the seed in his bag. And as he walks along his fields, he indiscriminately tosses the seed wherever it may go in hopes that it will take root. And so Jesus uses a very simple agricultural picture. Sorry, uh, sorry farmers, there's no GPS help here as to exactly where you're going to plant the seed, right? It doesn't work that way. You just throw it, right? And that's the image of the parable of the sower that Jesus introduces in verse 3. Now, here's what we're going to do as we work our way through. In verses 4 through 9, Jesus continues with the rest of the parable. And as we work our way through the parable, we are going to see four different types of soils. Four different types of soils that represent four different types of responses. Because the parable is really not about the sower, and it's not so much about the seed, although the seed is a part of the parable. The emphasis of the parable is on the soil. And so we see four seeds, four different types of soils, three different types of soils will not ultimately produce fruit. And so three out of four, 75% will have negative results, right? There will be no crop. However, one type of soil will indeed produce a crop. So four different soils, four different types of responses. Then what we see in verses 18 through 23 is that Jesus is then going to interpret the meaning of the parable both to his disciples then and to to us, his disciples today. And so what I'd like to do is work our way through the parable looking at each of the four types of soils and then jump ahead to see Jesus' interpretation. Does that make sense? So we'll go parable and then the point of the parable. So let's work our way through taking a look at the first type of soil. The first type of soil, we see it there in verse 4, and it is the, the soil that Jesus calls the hard path. The hard path. And it's going to represent the hardened heart. The hard path and the hardened heart. Well, let's take a look in your Bibles at verse 4. The parable continues. As, as he was scattering the seed... Jesus says, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And so Jesus introduces the parable in verse 3, a farmer is sowing his seed, and the first soil is the pathway, right? Jesus says that he was scattering the seed, and some of the seed falls along what Jesus calls the path. Now this pathway, if you will, represents the narrow strips of land that separated one field from another, right? And so imagine fields in those days, and of course you had to walk around the fields, and so what there uh, would, would happen was that there, you would have these strips of land, and they separated the field from one another, and of course the farmers would walk along this pathway, but not only would the farmers do that, but ancient travelers, as they were going from city to city, town to town, they would often travel along these narrow strips of land in between these uh, fields. And of course, what happens, you and I know, when people walk on the same plot of ground over and over and over again? Well, what happens to the soil? It becomes hardened, right? It's, it's, It's a pathway. It becomes worn and it's hardened. And so Jesus says that that's exactly what happened. Uh, along the pathway. And so the, the seed goes and it falls upon this hardened 
trodden down soil. Well, do you think that the seed is going to to germinate in that kind of situation? Is the, is the sea going to take root? Well, well, no, of course not, because the pathway is hardened. And so the parable continues, and Jesus says, as a result, the seeds, well, they don't go deep, they just are surface level. And as a, as a result, Jesus says that the birds come and they eat up those seeds. I, I, I can imagine this sort of scenario playing out. You have the farmer in its planting season and they're all out in the fields and they're throwing uh, their, their seed along, along the, the ground. And of course, well, birds know what's going on. And so I can imagine undoubtedly that there would be swarms of birds sort of closely uh, following behind the sower. It, it, it reminds me of a scene back from my day uh, growing up in South Texas. We would often go to, uh, to the beach, to the Gulf, and uh, you would often see boats like this, uh, shrimping bolts, boats or, or fishing boats, and as they would come in, well, what would surround them? Uh, birds, right? Specifically, seagulls, right? Loud, annoying seagulls. And it was not uncommon for the, the boats to come in and swarms of birds because it's dinner time, right? And, and that's what's going on in this parable. The birds come immediately and they pluck away that seed that had been thrown on the ground. And so Jesus simply introduces us to the first type of soil. It is the hardened path. If you jump ahead in your Bible to verse 19, Jesus goes on to interpret this parable for us. And he says this, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This, he says, is the seed sown along the path. And so now we have Jesus' interpretation for us. So what does the seed in the parable represent? Did you catch it? The seed in the parable represents what Jesus says, the message about the kingdom. The message about the kingdom. In fact, Luke in chapter 8, verse 11, in his rendering of the parable, Luke says that uh, Jesus calls it the word of God. And so the, the seed that is being planted in these four different types of soils, it is the message of the kingdom. It is the word of God. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which includes the call to repent and to trust in him as Savior and then to follow him as Lord and King. It is the message that one can enter into Jesus' king, kingdom through, through faith by his grace alone. And so we've seen what the seed is. But let's take a look at the soil. What is the soil? Well, the soil along the pathway, Jesus says, represents this. When anyone hears and does not understand. When someone hears the message of the gospel, when someone hears the message of the kingdom, but they don't get it, they don't receive it, they don't understand it. Friends, this is the person with a hardened, unresponsive heart. And then Jesus describes the birds, right? What are the birds in this parable? Well, the bird represents whom? Satan, right? This is Satan who takes those eternal realities that are hidden in the gospel and Satan plucks the seed away, right? Satan takes those eternal realities away from this person's consideration. And so we have the hardened pathway, and it represents the person who is hardened to the Word of God, the person who is hardened to the Gospel. Pastor John MacArthur, I think, pins this person down very very well when he writes this. He says, this is the person who is unconcerned with the things of God completely indifferent to anything spiritual. 
he does not give the gospel the least consideration, thinking it to be total foolishness. He has so continually and consistently resisted anything that smacks of spirituality that the soil of his heart has become pounded down until it is impervious and insensitive. He writes, his heart has never been softened by remorse, never broken up by conviction over sin, never he's never cultivated the smallest desire for anything holy. This person is self-sufficient, self-satisfied, and often self-righteous. So friends, we're going to ask this question four times. Do you know anyone like that? Does this description of the person who is the hardened path, who is hardened to the gospel, insensitive to spiritual matters, unconcerned about things related to church, uh, they don't care about the things of the Word of God. Do you know anyone like that? Maybe you do. And maybe it's you. Maybe that's you. Maybe this person is describing you. This is the person who sits and hears the gospel preached and hears the Word of God, but thinks, that's, that's for them. That's not for me. That's for the weak person, the, the person who needs a crutch in life. I don't need that. You can have your God. You can have your gospel. You can have your church. It's good for you, but friends, it's not for me. That is the hardened heart. That is the pathway soil who cares nothing about the gospel. They hear it, and Satan comes alongside and says, You don't need that. That's not for you. You're not a sinner. You're not as bad as as they say you are. You really don't need to submit to Christ. And Satan comes alongside and plucks the gospel from your hearing. And so we have the first soil, the hardened heart. But there's a second. And so let's return to the parable in verse 5. Jesus said, "Some, Some of the seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly. Because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. And they withered because they had no root. So Jesus continues and he shares with us that there is a second response to the gospel. There is a second type of soil in the parable. It is the rocky soil. And it represents, as we'll find out shortly, the shallow heart. Now, You and I tend to think when rocky soil is described, at least I do, I think of soil that has a bunch of rocks sort of mixed in it, right? Um, That's not necessarily the picture that Jesus is painting here. See, in uh, Palestine, common then and even common today, what you would have in some places was a layer of limestone that was uh, just a little bit uh, below the surface. And so you had this rocky soil. It wasn't visible from the surface, right? You wouldn't know it unless you started to dig, but just underneath uh, a small layer of topsoil was this this limestone. And so what would happen is exactly what Jesus said. When seeds would fall on this type of soil, what would happen? Well, he said it, it, it springs up immediately. In fact, not only does it spring up quickly, but but more quickly than expected. And so here you have this little plant and the seed. The farmer looks at it and, and the farmer says, wow, this seed is coming up very quickly. It must be legitimate. It must be good, right? But, but, but not so because Jesus says it has no what? It has no root, right? The roots can't go beneath the limestone. And so what happens when the Middle Eastern sun 
shines upon this type of seed, well, it, it quickly dies because there's not enough soil for it to sustain life. And so we see the second soil is described for us. It's the rocky soil, the shallow soil, if you will. Well, Jesus gives us the interpretation, the point, in verse 20. Verse 20 says this, The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who listens, who hears the word, and at once receives it with joy. But, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, notice Jesus also identifies the gospel, right, the seed with the word. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly do what? They quickly fall away. And so here is the divine interpretation of the rocky soil. Jesus said that this person, like the seed that springs up quickly, hears the gospel, receives it, and I use that in scare quotes, receives it with joy, but just like the seed that had no root eventually withered when the sun came up, these folks, Jesus says, wither, they wither in their profession of the gospel in Jesus, and they wither in their obedience to the gospel in Jesus. When two things happen, what are those two things? When hardship comes into their life, or when persecution, because of Jesus, comes their way. My children enjoy going with me to the hardware store, and it's not because they have a great selection of nuts and bolts and tools. Um, They like going to the hardware store because they know that when you go to pay for whatever it is that you're paying for, that there are these machines sitting conveniently right by the register. And if you're a parent, you know what type of machine I'm talking about. They're the gumball machines, right? The candy machines, conveniently placed. Thank you, hardware store. And so when the, when the kids come, they, they, they know that if mom and dad are being generous, that they have a quarter in their pocket and they, they might get a gumball or they might get a candy. And so they, they love doing that. And so occasionally uh, we will do that for them. And, and there's this one occasion where one of my children, and I, I don't recall which one, put their quarter in, turned the little knob, and they put their hand underneath the candy machine and they opened the lid. And what happened? Nothing came out. There was no bubble gum. There was no candy. Now, how do you think my child responded in that moment? With patience? It is okay, my father. I can do without candy. <laughs> You're laughing because you know that no kid does that, right? Uh, they start to tear up a little bit. I'm not going to my candy. What happened, right? Um, <laughs> they put the quarter in. No candy came out. How did they feel? They felt robbed. They felt they were mistreated, treated unfairly. There were tears until the nice lady behind the, count, the counter pulled out another quarter and said, here you go, dear, right? Uh, put it in. And, and so they were, they were great there. Friends, this, this is how shallow-hearted people are. This is how shallow-hearted people are. Because they think if they pray a prayer at some point in their life, or if they have a moving religious emotional experience, or if they attend church for a season that they have put their quarter in the celestial candy machine, and somehow God is obligated then to give them the good things in life. And what happens when the the gumball doesn't come out? What happens when the candy doesn't flow from the candy machine? They throw a fit. 
Jesus says they quickly fall away from the faith. Again, John MacArthur describes this person saying, and I quote, He has come to Christ for what he thought he would get in the way of personal benefit. But when confronted with the high cost of salvation, he will not pay the price. He has built his religious house on the sand of emotional experience. And when the storms of affliction or persecution beat on his house, it crumbles and washes away. He has the foliage of a religious experience, but he has no root in spiritual reality and therefore cannot produce spiritual fruits, which Jesus goes on to say is the only reliable evidence of true conversion. Friends, do you know someone like this? Do you know someone who is the rocky soil, the the shallow heart? Maybe it's you. Maybe it's you. We all, I think, can think of stories of people who fit the bill. They seem like healthy, vibrant Christians. They have made a profession of faith. Maybe they were even baptized in the local church. And things seem to be going along until tragedy strikes. Their spouse has a or an illness, one of their children has a struggle, Um, finances turn south, they lose a job, some sort of trial happens in their life, and what happens to their faith? We haven't seen them in church in a while, they haven't been around, they're not reading their Bibles, They're they're not praying, they're not engaged in spiritual things, and inevitably they turn away from the faith, and they reject that which they once confessed. Not only can it be trial, but, but we know people who, when persecution comes their way. Friends, it's, at, at, at some point in the history of America, it was socially acceptable and even uh, beneficial to be a professing Christian. Do we live in that day now? I do not believe we do. It is not socially in most arenas. Now, maybe here in Little Cisna Park, it's still true to some degree. But increasingly so, it is not socially beneficial these days anymore to say that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. To say that He is the Son of God. To say that this is the Christian sexual morality. It's not acceptable anymore. It's not socially beneficial anymore. And so when people who prayed a prayer when they were 15 and now they're 35 and they say, you know what, I I can't go along with what Jesus says anymore. I'm not sure I can pay the price for identifying myself with Him any longer. Friends, this is the rocky soil. This is the shallow heart. But there is a third. Jesus calls it the thorny soil. The thorny soil. And it represents what I'll call the worldly heart. Notice verse 7. Jesus goes on, Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, and choked the plant. The image that Jesus uses here is fairly simple for us to understand, right? Uh, some of the seed that fell, uh, fell along uh, uh, thorn bushes. And that seed tried to grow up alongside the thorn bushes that often grew on, along the edges of the fields there in the land of Israel. And of course, the thorns robbed the young plants of light and nourishment. And so as a result, uh, they got choked out. Right? Uh, The seed didn't produce fruit. Well, what's the point then? We see it in verse 22. Jesus explains it for us. He says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, 
But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth do what? Choke the word, making it unfruitful. So Jesus interprets this, right? Who, who is the, the thorny soil? It's the person that, that is, it is choked out by worldly desires and events. Jesus says that this is the person who hears the gospel, but, but is so concerned with the events and the happenings of everyday life and the deceitful pursuit of, of accumulating wealth and status and possessions. That's the person that is represented by the thorny soil. And as a result, the gospel is, in a sense, choked out. This is the person that the present life, rather than the life to come, the present treasure, rather than the future treasure, captivate this person's affection. And as a result, they reject the the gospel. Again, MacArthur is helpful. He says, this is a person who comes to church but never becomes committed to serving in the church, who is continually preoccupied with money, career, fashions, sports, and everything and anything but the Lord's work. This is the person, he says, who has a weed-infested heart. The person who refuses to let go of their worldliness. This is a person in whom the seed of God's saving gospel has not found root and is in danger of being choked out altogether. Friends, do you know someone like this? Maybe it's you. This is the person who is so wrapped up in the worries of life. Friends, is your life busy? I tend to think my life is busy. I think we all tend to think that our lives are busy. Do we have concerns in this life? Of course we do. We're concerned about our jobs. We're concerned about our children. We're concerned about our friends. We're concerned about our homes, right? Schedules are increasingly busy. There's this stuff that happens in life. And it's so easy for us to be, to be so concerned and wrapped up with those issues that we forget that there is an eternity ahead of us, right? That there is more to life than this life. And Jesus said that this is the person who's so wrapped up, careers, relationships, children, bank accounts, they're highly motivated to have a better standard of living, all the while when, they, when the seed of the gospel comes their way, when the word of God is presented to them, they say, I don't have time for that. I just don't have time for that. I'm too busy with, with things that I have to be concerned about now and the deceit of wealth that they ignore the gospel because all that matters to them is what is happening in the moment. Friends, this is the thorny soil, the worldly heart. Could that be me? Could that be you? Rest assured, there is a fourth soil and we are grateful for it because the first three have been bad. The first three soils have not produced fruit. The first three soils have not taken root. The first three soils have produced no crops. And so I'm grateful Jesus didn't end the parable then, right? Because there is good news. There is a fourth type of soil. It's the good soil in verse 8. Still, Jesus said, other seeds fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. Wheat, likely in this instance. A hundred, sixty or 30 times what was sown. Finally, the fourth soil is the good soil, right? This is the soil that the, that took root, right? The seed was planted and it was, it germinated. And what did it do? Notice the emphasis, right? Fell on good soil. And what was the end result from this little seed? What did it produce? 
It produced crop, right? And friends, what is the point of a seed but to produce a crop, right? That's why you plant a seed. That is the purpose of the seed, is to produce fruit. And so the good soil did this. Notice this observation. Is the sower in all four soils the same? Yes or no? Yes, right? The sower is the same. Is the seed in all four soils the same? Yes. Is the response in all four soils the same? No. What's the difference? It's the response, right? It is the soil in which the Word of God is being planted. And so what's the point? He interprets it for us in verse 23. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the Word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So in contrast to the first soil, the person hears the gospel, but they don't understand the gospel. This good soil, this is the person that hears the gospel, they understand the gospel, they trust in the gospel, they receive the gospel, they're born again, and then they do what? Friends, when a person is born again, what is the inevitable trajectory of their life? To bear fruit, right? That's what happens with a seed. When a seed comes to life, it bears fruit. It's the same with the gospel. And so the question for us is, what kind of fruit did Jesus have in mind? Well, it's hard to be dogmatic. We're not told, and so we don't want to press the point of the parable too far. However, if you look at the same word used in, the, in Matthew's gospel, this idea of, of fruit literally is the word. Well, I think we could come up with, with a couple things. First of all, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, John the Baptist, he's preaching to the crowds, and the religious leaders come to him, and, and you know what he tells them? He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, when you truly repent, what happens? There's evidence, right? An apple tree produces apples, right? And so a repentant person demonstrates that with their life. There is genuine sorrow over their sins. There is a genuine turning away from those sins and towards Christ. And when a person is born again, does, does repentance stop? Of course not, right? I think it was Martin Luther who said that the whole of the Christian life is one of repentance, right? That's what Christians do when we mess up. That's one of the big differences between Christians and non-Christians. When I sin, the Holy Spirit convicts me, and I'm saddened that I've sinned against my Heavenly Father, and so I turn from that sin, and I agree with it, and I repent, and I seek to be different. Non-Christians don't do that. Non-Christians, when they sin, they're only saddened when they get caught. Or they're only sad when there are repercussions in their relationships. But that's not godly sorrow. There is true repentance. So that's one of the fruits of a genuine Christian. Is that fruit growing on your tree, my friend? Not only that, but a life of obedience. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking of false teachers. And he says this, You will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. That is, he goes on to explain, their lack of obedience. Because he contrasts this lack of fruit with this phrase. He says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. Whoever, uh, this is the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. In other words, one of the fruits that I think Jesus means is, is a life of obedience. A life of, of holiness. And there are many others. I'm going to quickly go through these. When you look at the word fruit in the New Testament, we we see other fruit. So, for example, sharing the gospel with a person who is lost, sharing your testimony, 
That's fruit, if you will. Being generous with our money, that's fruit. Of course, we're familiar with the fruit of the what? The fruit of the Spirit, right? We all love and joy and peace, patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness, self-control, and I think I missed one, gentleness, right? Fruits of the Spirit. A genuine, transformed life, right? That's fruitfulness. Ephesians 5.9 says, Goodness and righteousness and truth is the fruit of the light. So you know that you've come from the darkness to the light if you love that which is good, and if you love holiness, and if you love truth, good deeds done for other people in Colossians 1. When you help your neighbor with their yard, it's a good deed. That's fruit. And even giving thanks to God, God, thank you for this food. It's the fruit of our lips, right? And so there is all sorts of fruitfulness that the Bible speaks of for those who are born again. And so the question that I have to ask you is, how is your, uh, how's your fruit tree looking? Are there evidences that you are not soil number one, not soil number two, not soil number three, but what? Soil number four. Because we all want to be soil number four. Next week, we're going to see what the eternal significance of these four responses to the gospel are. Because it's not just about the fruit in this life. It's about the destiny of the next. And we're going to see that in the parables to come. So here's what I'll leave you with. We have seen four types of soils, right? There's the hard soil, the hardened heart. There's the rocky soil, right? The, the person who falls away. There's the weedy soil, the cares of this life, chokes out the gospel. And then, then there is the good soil. And good soil always produces fruit. So friends, which soil are you? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us now, even in these closing moments, to search our hearts and to examine our lives in the midst of uh, this parable. You have laid out for us four responses uh, to the Word of God, to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, for those of us who are soil number four, that we would see all sorts of fruitfulness in our lives and that we would have confidence that we have truly received the gospel because there's evidence. But, Father, I pray now if there are people and they think, I look more like soil number one, I look like soil number three, that your spirit now would convict them and help them to see that they've not truly repented of their sin and of their self and to trust now in Christ and Christ alone to be the good soil, to receive the gospel and Jesus' free offer of salvation through faith only by His grace apart from any good works or merit and that they then would have the seed of the gospel deeply planted in their heart and that that gospel seed would grow and that it would bloom and that there would be confirmation of their salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Would you stand with me as we close with our benediction? Let's read this together if we can. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Here we go. Would you read with me? For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. See you next week, guys. Thanks.